Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Alex Berneth and Mike and Oliver lead the Nourish Early Learning Center in Oregon, Ohio. Alex actually lives in Brooklyn, New York, and leads the center from there with her husband, Josh, and her two children, ages one and three. Mikan is the director of the day-to-day and is married to Tim and mom of three children, ages five, three, and one. They have a pretty large center of 25 teachers, 95 families, and 114 children. Nourish is their mom's school. Their mom took great pride in building and creating a legacy. When tragedy hit and the sisters lost their mother, father, and their sister in a fatal car crash, they made a decision to keep their mom's legacy alive and continue the center. Alex is a writer and has a degree in business and marketing, and Mikey has a nursing degree. They took their love and connection with their mom, their love of children, their passion and commitment, and decided to keep going. And they have built an incredible and ongoing vision for Nourish. These women are pioneers of hope and true resilience in the face of tragedy. This story is raw, deep, and emotional, as well as full of hope and inspiration. We begin with Alex sharing her initial feelings as she heard about what was going on from her Brooklyn apartment, which quickly became the eye of the storm. I am based in New York City, so I heard about it probably earlier than than most people. And I brushed it off at first. I was very, I heard about it in February and I was just very like, okay, like, it's not going to affect us. Um, I didn't think it would affect my life. I certainly didn't think it would affect my work life. And then around March 12th, mid-March, New York started really shutting down. And I think I didn't understand the longevity ahead. I thought it would be sort of a short-lived, we'll figure it out as we go. I jumped into a bit more of hypervigilance of making sure that my communication was clear and often and overworking. That's kind of my response is like, I have to overwork in order to maintain my normal work drive. So I definitely think I started overworking, particularly those last few weeks of March, but even moving into isolation and quarantine, I was demanding a lot of myself. 
So, yeah, I think when, um, you know, when you are in Ohio and you're hearing your sister in New York being like, whoa, they're really shutting stuff down. You're kind of like, oh, my gosh, is it going to come to this point? Honestly, I was just like frustrated. I was like, don't do one more thing to me. Like, come on. Like, I I don't want to deal with a shutting down on top of everything else. Uh, So I was frustrated and angry and I had to cancel a trip to New York. So I think all of that like was just my kind of initial reaction. But yeah, Alex and I jumped right into work because that's what we do when we get in those type of situations and we dove in and we were like, okay, what, what do we have to do? And just started checking things off the box. And our main number one thing was communication and staying on top of it and we worked our best around that with isolation and everything and just working the best we could. Grief is like a tidal wave, kind of comes and goes and sometimes small waves that pull us in and we may bounce back quicker. And other times it's the giant roaring tsunami threatening to crash and destroy everything in its wake. Surviving loss and grief is part of building the mental resilience to be a stronger leader for both yourself, your family, and your school. Mikan and Alex survived the initial stages of grief, and then they developed really strong tools to thrive after their personal loss, and then tapped into those to navigate this new global tragedy. The reason why Alex and I are in the position of owning this daycare is in, um, you know, March of 2017, we lost my mom, dad, and sister in a car accident. So we've almost been through a pandemic in a way. And before we've lost everything, Um, we had no idea what we were doing. And that led us to almost like knowing exactly what to do. It was honestly the same day the daycare closed was the same day the accident. So it's really weird. It just took us right back and we were like, what do we do? We showed up and we put ourselves to work and we knew that, okay, we don't know anything and we'll learn how to do it. And that's what we did. So Alex can kind of like elaborate on those like first steps that we did then and now and how that helped us. March 26, 2017 was the day of the accident and we had to make very quick decisions on whether our family would keep the daycare business or get rid of it. And the like legally we had to make these choices um, and they didn't feel like choices at the time, but now I tell Mike and we're pretty committed to these, these decisions. And I come from a business background and she comes from a nursing background. So, you know, we both love kids and we're happy to be in the positions, but I do think that what Mike and touched on was after the accident, we knew very little about how to run a childcare, how to, have a preschool class run smoothly, how to support a staff, how to manage humans, how to create a strong parent engagement. These were all things our mom was 30 years experience with. So we had to learn a lot and we learned a lot quickly. And I think what the last three years have taught us is that going into the pandemic, uncertainty was not new to us. Tragedy was not new to us. Um, We knew that we had survived three years in a very grief-stricken, catastrophic state. So yes, while it was terrible that something else was added, we also already had built the resilience to say, okay, we know how to do this. We know how to deal 
be in uncertainty. We kind of built up our communication around that with our parents. It's like, we know how to look at the future with not exactly knowing what's coming next. What we've gotten much better at is communicating with clarity that maybe we don't know all the answers, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. And we can create that type of clarity of, we don't know exactly what two weeks is going to look like, but we can operate daily with clarity. So I think that was our biggest benefit. And I think that parents witnessed that and really saw that, that in action over the first six months, like coming back to the school and coming back to the school year program, because some parents didn't come back till September. So I think those were huge skills that we already had that we could go forward with. Living in a state of constant uncertainty can be exhausting, but in reality, it's what we do every day. This dynamic duo became a stable force for their staff, their families, because while they didn't know much any more than anyone else did, they knew in their heart and soul that they can handle what comes next. And really as a leader, that's what you need to focus on. How can I handle the next moment? How can I make the next best decision for what's right in front of me? Maya Angelou has a beautiful quote. When we know better, we do better. So how do we learn the skill of navigating uncertainty? There are practices around this. Creating rest time and nurturing time for yourself, along with playtime, adult playtime. Recognizing that in order to show up with energy that you want to lead and truly be a good steward of your team, you can't do this alone, and you shouldn't. You need support from people around you, both in mentors and great peers, therapists, who consistently pour into you and give you what you need to succeed in each moment. I'm not always good at resting. I feel like in in these moments, I like dive in because I like avoid rest and avoid peace. And it's kind of what I've reflected on, you know, going into 2021 is really being present and in the moment when I need to be. But obviously there were times when I was forced to because I have three kids at home and I, and I didn't have a daycare open. So I had to take a break and like be with them because it was, they were like, what's going on. So they forced that. So we took a lot of time outside because what else do you you do in a pandemic? You can't do anything else. So lots of nature and outside and taking the time for ourselves as a family to like, just spend quality time together as much Mm -hmm. as we can. So those were my moments of like breaks and rest. I didn't a hundred percent get like a ton of alone time because of that reason too, as kids, but I use the, my kids as my quality time and rest. Being seen, heard, and respected is what we seek every day. Our staff, our parents, our children, and you. You want to be seen and heard without asking for it, just to be given, just to be given that. You carry a lot as a leader, and every day it brings its own stressors and drama. Learning the tools to release the stress of the day and come into a new day, afresh. That's resilience. 
Alex and Mike can both share their experiences in therapy and having a dedicated time to speak with someone. I hope their perspective invites you to explore these options for yourself if you've been thinking about it or wondering if they may be a helpful practice for you. After the accident um, in 2017, I had a very deep understanding that this was not something that I could handle alone. Um, my mental health wouldn't be able to sustain the grief and the tragedy. So I actually was pregnant at the time and my OB's office had an on-site therapist who worked with prenatal and perinatal care. So I was immediately reached at, like matched with this human who has become my therapist. And I speak to her three times a week. And I did before the pandemic and then when the pandemic hit, I was very begrudgingly like, I'm not giving up this time with my therapist, even though I was at home with my kids for, I have, at the time I had a one-year-old and a two-year-old and my husband was working from home and I was like, this therapy time is my time. And I go to therapy three times a week and it's very important to me for my healing. And it's very important for the people in my life because if I don't go to therapy and release the emotions of anything I'm bottling up in my everyday life, then it will affect everything. And I don't know that other many people understand how much we bottle and to have a really safe, trusting place to release that regularly and to have someone who's non-judgmental and non-aggressive with telling you what to do or finding a solution for you, but just listens is so powerful to our psyche. It's like as powerful as water to me. And I think water is very powerful. <laughs> so um, I very much went back to my basic needs in those first, the weeks we were closed, which was I have to do therapy. I'm not letting that go. And I have to drink my water and I have to get my sleep. And those are my I mean, everyone's very, very basic needs. And then we can build from there. But that's like, that holds me together. And I think it's held me together for a long time. So I'm very grateful for therapy. <laughs> yeah, I think our lives are, they are constantly changing. And we, I do believe we are constantly grieving, even if you don't really realize you are. Pandemic aside, you're always losing something and moving forward into something new. You're grieving yourself constantly. And working through that with a mental health professional is very, very helpful. But I would also say that as a leader, you do you carry the emotional weight of your staff. So if you're managing five people, if you're managing 100 people, you do carry this, how do I lead efficiently with empathy, with love, which is what we aim to do, while also not harboring anger or resentment towards people for doing things that humans do. And it allows you to, when you're releasing this to your therapist and you're talking about it out loud, just anything in life, you're able to release it from yourself. So you can release that. I can talk about the anger I have towards someone with my therapist in a safe place and figure out a very proactive, practical solution to deal with my anger. But that's in life in general. People are going to upset you. Humans are humans. Um, and that's perfectly fine. <laughs> and I think we always have to be, I think it's really smart to be working with someone to work through those emotions and become very self-aware about yourself as a leader and as a friend as a, and as a human so that you can make the best choices and really stand in who you are. It's really powerful. I'm going to add a little bit to that because I think that like 
you know, I, I go to therapy about once every like three weeks. And what I am getting to at this point is building, you know, skills and stuff to not hold that at all, that somebody else's actions and stuff should, you know, don't affect me. So building those type of skills of like, you know, yes, I hear you. Yes, I can empathize you, but I'm not going to hold that. And just talking that through and building that, I mean, that's true of my home life, my marriage, my, you know, my kids, everything, and which is everybody deals with, not just somebody who's going through tragedy or a pandemic. So everybody's dealing with relationships and how to speak to people and how to talk things through. So Mm -hmm. all these skills I'm constantly talking about in therapy and she's working through with me, you know, and I would say you in a way too, Connie, like talking to you and you working through conversations with us, that's a type of therapy that helps us, you know, work through those type of conversations, hard conversations and hard feelings Mm -hmm. with people. As with all schools during this hard season, both Mikan and Alex needed to make some really tough decisions about staying open, furloughs, and staffing schedule, along with summer camps. And, you know, just another one of the billion decisions that everyone had to make. Not one of them were easy, and it was hard to share with the team and the families. What's even further is the vastly different opinions and facts and feelings around the virus. And as leaders, they needed to hold space for all of these things and still lead and navigate through them. Mikan shares with us how some of the key steps that she took in the center beforehand and some of those foundationals that she put into place made those hard moments a little lighter to carry and lean into. You know, I'm trying to, you know, really reflect back on that, those times when we were making those big decisions and what, like what we did. I think it was, I mean, partially the foundations that we have already set before even going into the pandemic, right? We had very strong relationships with each of them. We were constantly doing one-on-ones and building our culture. So that was step one before the pandemic even happened. So I think that the staff had trust in us and they all cared for each other and all understood that we are all coming from different types of lives where we need different things in those moments, because some have kids, some don't have kids, some, you know, have husbands that, you know, support them, some don't. So I think when those foundations that already existed were super important. And then going into that time when we're making all these decisions, but also having that, I think it was just listening. I think it was conversations and listening to them and where they were at and um, being mindful of what we could do and being honest with them of what we were able to do. So listening and being honest, like we can do this, we can't do that. We'll do our best to support you in whatever ways. And and as we started to open and, you know, some people weren't quite ready to come back, we were okay with it because we were able to do that. And once we weren't able, we were like, okay, it's time now. And I don't think we ever got any, you know, backlash or anything that um, from that. It was more just they put their trust in us that we were making the decisions of what was best for Nourish as a whole. And I think something that we had to learn how to do is, um, which I think a lot of leaders had to do, was learn how to listen to people who are on very vastly different sides of the spectrum of how they were dealing with the pandemic internally. Mm -hmm. So some people just didn't care 
as much as others. So understanding that, okay, I'm speaking to this person right now who is, you know, ready to come back, like ready to work and be with kids and play and be interactive and hug. And, and then I'm working with this person who is really, her family has been very cautious and she, you know, is like making sure that everything is perfectly clean. And, you know, she doesn't really want to hug the kids right now. A lot of people who are at this stage of their growth in their school, they're looking at the climate and they're thinking, what do I have left to give? How much longer is this really going to go on for? Can I hold out longer? I don't know. The not knowing, the not knowing. Breathe into that. This is a season that's called upon us to stretch all of our muscles. Our communication muscle, our courage muscle, our leadership muscle. These stretches lead us to stronger resilience. I invited both Mike and Alex to share what makes them proud in these moments. As mothers of young children and leading a business together, there is a lot of things that they can take pride. I think for me, my communication as much, I, I mean, I went to school for marketing and communication. One would think I would be very strong at this, but really diving into making that an intention with COVID and parents mm. made me really look at it across the board and just be like, am I communicating effectively with my husband? And the answer was very much no, particularly in the beginning. But I do think as we got deeper into the pandemic, we did start communicating better. And I also think that I know that one of my values is generosity. That's something that is pretty innate to my personality. But over the last two months, probably, I have found myself just really being like, I actually have a huge capacity to be so generous with my time and my listening. And as long as I'm making sure that I build in my own rest and my own therapy, I can keep offering that. It doesn't have to stop. It's hard for it not to fill back up for me. So even going into this year, I know that one of my goals is to continue to be generous and grow that even more if I can. So that's helping staff out when they need it from a time and energy perspective. I'm not in the building, so I can't help them physically, but I can listen to them. And I know that I can be generous with that listening. But I think it, w- it would be communication and, and that generosity of my listening. A skill I struggle with for always is building the boundary and holding holding true to them. And um, I've really been forced to in this pandemic to hold some boundaries for my own sake. And I've, I've carried that over to, <laughs> to my home life, you know, in ways that are specifically around like holidays and stuff that are very hard for me due to tragedy. And I've just put a line where I'm like, you know, this, this isn't going to happen this way this year, because I need to look after myself. I can show up as a better me if I'm not feeling resentful all the time of people crossing my boundary that they don't know exists. A lot of the anxiety around communicating a boundary comes from a place of loss of like, what if they say no? What if I'm denied this? What if I'm not worthy enough of this boundary being implemented? And the other person's like, what? No, like I'm not going to honor that or whatever it is, right? Sometimes it goes really well. Most of the time it does. But 
when we're ready to set boundaries and honor who we are and who we want to be in the world, we also have to be ready for the no, because when we set a boundary, it is an invitation for yes or no. And so I would love if either of you could share to how have you elevated your mindset around, you know, there's a great quote around, we get what we believe we deserve, period. You, you never get what you want. You get what you believe you deserve. And so now that you essentially get the boundaries that you've set for yourself, Mike, and a lot of that started from this subconscious of like, I deserve this. Mm-hmm. And then you come from that place when you make the invitation and when you make the ask. And so that is a lot of times why you get the answer that you want. So let's talk about how you've elevated that mindset to believe I deserve this. This specific boundary was, you know, me spending my time where I felt obligated versus where I needed to be to heal mm. from grief, you know, so it felt very obligated. So when I when I did it, it was a talk with my husband that I was like, I can't spend time with his family this year. I I had to, you know, you can take the kids and give me space and they can have that quality time together. I agree with Megan on the boundaries of, of communication after hours, or we've built that up to be very clear. I put my phone on do not disturb. Um, it's usually plugged in in the wall when I'm with my kids. And if I, if I choose to check it, that's okay. But I think the hardest thing that I'm struggling right now is teaching the staff the same to sort of inspire them to, mm-hmm. to put their phones away too. You know, we use a bright wheel app and they can communicate with parents all day, every day, all night, every night. And, and some of them do and understanding that it's okay to not. Um, and we tell them that verbally, but I, I think some of them are still learning their own boundaries of saying like, Oh, I don't have to reply at nine o'clock at night to a parent who t- sends a bright wheel message at nine o'clock at night. Um, but I think Mike and I setting that standard that we're putting our phones on do not disturb after six o'clock, you know, unless it's an emergency, we can choose to answer our email. We can choose to answer our phone, but, and you have the same choice. If I text you at seven o'clock and you choose not to reply that night, that's okay. And figuring out this year, how to, how to kind of instill that and let that ripple into the school as far as that, particular boundary, but I find that that's the one that's crossed the most. Alex and Mikan are dreamers. They have a huge vision for Nourish Learning Center. And even though their leadership of this incredible school was birthed from tragedy, they are leading with grace and joy, and they're filled with so much gratitude. Their story is one of so much hope. When you decide to put your mind to something, nothing will break you. You will always prevail. They give us a peek into what's going on in their minds right now and some of their bigger dreams. We really want to change the community as a whole in Mm. ways besides here. So our growth doesn't mean opening up more centers to us. Our growth means expanding what we do, like within the boundaries of like um, our interests and passions. So, I mean, from anywhere from opening a little restaurant slash catering business to cater to nourish and, and teach people on healthy eating to community efforts of teaching parenting skills to 
being a doula and being part of the before process before they even come to nourish. I mean, we kind of have this whole aspiration to have this be a whole community change their mindset of what is truly important in life. And it's not just to get through the day and check things off your box and accomplish things. It's really being present and in the moment and how to live like that. So we want to do it from the time that they're, you know, not even thought of to death and beyond. What we see ourselves as is more of a family center and that impacts the community. So our, our vision is brain, body, spirit, nourish the brain, the body, and the spirit. And bringing children into the world. So doula-ing and perinatal care is incredibly important and talking about birth and the birth process and what it is to be a family in the world. And I think losing our family speaks so much to creating a family type center to really invoke the value of how important our family was to us and how you can create that type of intention in your own family. So yes, we'll still consider, we'll still have childcare because our mom's dream was to create a second home for children who have to be away from their parents all day. So that is very much at the root of what we do. Um, and we'll continue to maintain that. But then we can also usher in the perinatal care and then the family care even beyond their when they leave our doors. So we can talk about teenage parenting and moving to college and that separation. And what does a family unit look like, brain, body, and spirit from birth to death? And how can we really create a community around that? I love your dreams. And I've, I've heard, while I've heard these dreams before, I appreciate you articulating them again, because what I want people to hear from this is really defining your definition of growth and excellence for you, for your own school of excellence. And for some people, their school of excellence is about growth in centers or growth in numbers or building, you know, multi-million dollar empires. And for some people, growth is about a very different definition um, in like what you described here. And there's multiple definitions of growth and excellence. What I want people to take from this is the intentional thought and conversation that the two of you have together about what does growth mean? What are we aspiring for? What is our vision? What are we trying to build here? Thank you for joining me in this conversation and hearing Mike and Alex's story of resilience. And now we'd all love to hear from you. What struck a chord with you? What's the greatest learning that you're gonna take from this story? Please join us in our Facebook group so we can continue the conversation. Thanks so much for listening. Hey there, school leaders. I am so excited to share with you that I am hosting a special free series called the Build to Last Workshop, which are the three sustainable pillars for school leadership. Last time we did this workshop, we had over 700 school leaders from all over the world join us. So if this is your first time joining us, I'm gonna be teaching live over the course of four days. Each day I'm gonna be training, coaching, and guiding you through these pillars, which are mindset, time, culture, and as a bonus training, we're gonna be talking about conflict. Now, this workshop is really unique because I'm teaching live, and even if you can't make it live, 
we're gonna be giving you access to the replays and the recordings. So make sure that you sign up so you can get access to all of that. In addition to the trainings, you're also gonna be getting a workbook, which is going to help you learn the scripts, the experiences, and the practices that you need to do to help you up-level your leadership. This is going to be super practical, hands-on, and I want you to be able to see results and transformation in just the first few days of this workshop. So head on over to Khani.me slash build to last or click the link in the show notes to sign up. Through this training, you are going to learn how to be more confident and trust your decision making so you can lead your team. I can't wait to see you there. Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.